I'm turning this evening to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works? Get you unto your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And you shall leave it there. Well, friends, we're looking uh, tonight at uh, this, this chapter, chapter 5, and God willing, we'll move on to chapter 6 as well, but uh, I've titled the message for this evening, The Contest uh, for Souls. The Contest for Souls, and we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But we've seen how the Lord had appeared previously to Moses and called him and uh, commissioned him, given him this great and uh, responsibility and task to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, speak to him and demand that he lets the people of Israel go. Let's the slaves, two million slaves, be released. And he's good to lead them uh, out of Israel, uh, the people of Israel, uh, out of Egypt and towards the promised land. Well, we saw last week how uh, Moses was quite reluctant initially because of the, the weight of that, that calling. He, uh, he was reluctant to take it, take it up. He held back. Uh, from an immediate acceptance, as it were, of the call. And the Lord had to encourage him. And encourage him he did, repeatedly. And the Lord gave him promises and uh, told him uh, that uh, he would be with him. That's what he needed to hear. Uh, but that wasn't enough. And then the Lord promised him success in his mission. That still wasn't enough. And then the Lord finally promised him as well, or said to him, Aaron will go with you. Because you remember how he said, Lord, I can't speak. I'm uncircumcised in my speech. I, I cannot speak. I don't have the gift of speaking. And so the Lord said, well, let Aaron, your brother, he's coming to meet you. Let him be your spokesman. And then uh, Moses said, okay, I will go now. It's a little bit of a pity on, on Moses' part that uh, the Lord said, I will be with you. And he was still reluctant. But when the Lord said, Aaron will go with you, he said, okay. It's like human, he had that, that human companionship and comfort, and that was an encouragement to him, a reassurance uh, to him. Uh, well, we pick it up here in, in chapter 5 and verse 1, and this is the first encounter uh, between Moses and Pharaoh. And it's going to be a contest, friends. It's going to be a contest between Moses and Pharaoh. This is no ordinary contest. This is no light contest. This is, in a sense, if you're thinking about a boxing match, it's a bit of a, uh, a lightweight against a heavyweight, naturally looking at it. Uh, but uh, it's a contest between 
Moses and Pharaoh, but also behind the scenes, it's a contest between God and Satan. It's a contest also, you could say, for souls, because the demand uh, to release uh, the people, to release those slaves, is also a demand, as it were, from God to, uh, to Satan, to release uh, his people, to let his people go. And we'll see that uh, as we go along. But verse 1, Afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Now how Moses and Aaron and uh, possibly the elders of Israel were with them at this time, how they actually got access uh, to uh, Pharaoh and had this royal audience with him, uh, we don't really know. But here, straight away, they're very uh, direct. The command is given to Pharaoh. This is a message not from us. This is not just our request. This is a message from heaven. This is a message from the Lord God of Israel. Let my people go. How did Pharaoh respond? Well, he must have laughed, I think. I think he must have laughed out loud, or at least to himself. He must have chuckled at this request. Because you think, who was there before him? Two men in their 80s. Two weak men in their 80s. And you know what Moses said about people who are 80 years old. They have their power diminishes and the strength, strength and labor. Uh, and he, he, here he is in his 80s, uh, going before uh, uh, Pharaoh and demanding that uh, the people are released. Two, uh, one is a shepherd, at least Moses, we know, definitely was a shepherd with a shepherd's crook. Aaron also had his own rod. And uh, here they come, uh, these somewhat pathetic figures, you could say, who are humanly speaking and asking and demanding from the most powerful man on the planet, the most powerful world leader, let go of those slaves, release them. Uh, this is what uh, God wants you to do. Let them go into the, the wilderness to hold a feast uh, to the Lord. Well, verse, how is Pharaoh going to respond? Verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? A very insolent response. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. I know not the Lord. I haven't heard of him. Uh, he, he cannot be a very great God uh, because look at the people of Israel. Well, they're all, if, 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 the, if the God of Israel looks after his people, well, they're all slaves. They're all under my power. They're all so weak. Is that the God that you're asking me uh, to acknowledge? Who is he? I don't know him. Why should I obey him? And a very determined, I will not let Israel go. Well, we see, friends, even uh, very early on in this, the kind of problems that uh, we have or struggles that we have as we try and witness to people and bring people over onto the Lord's side, isn't it? When we're witnessing, whether the doors or uh, in the gospel preaching or on the streets, we're often hearing people say this, who is the Lord? And we call on them to repent and believe that God is your creator, you're responsible to him. You're accountable to him. It's time for you to repent and return to the Lord. And say, who is the Lord? Why should I obey him? That's the kind of unbelieving response that we also have to 
uh, put up with. It's part of the contest. It's part of this difficulty that we face in, in the battle for souls, uh, to try and recover souls, that we're going to come across unbelievers who speak uh, like this. Well, this uh, Pharaoh wasn't just here. When we think of Pharaoh, don't only think of him as just a great king, because to his people, to the Egyptians, he was much more than a king. He was actually a god in their eyes, and to himself, he was considered to be a deity. So this is the beginning of a, a contest, really, between the, the Lord God and all the gods of Egypt. They had a, a number of gods. And uh, in this contest, we're going to see uh, how God is going to show that he is far superior to all those gods of Egypt. They think they're very great. They think they're mighty and powerful. But God, one of the purposes that God is going, uh, that we go through all these events that I recorded here, is at the end of the day, the Egyptians will know who is the true God. And they will be persuaded and convinced be, by all that have they, they experience and see in their very midst, the Lord, he is the true God. Well, friends, here God says, really, Israel is mine. The people of Israel, yes, even those slaves, they're my people. They belong uh, to me. Uh, let them go. And Pharaoh says, I will not let them go. They're my property. Uh, they belong uh, to me. I refuse uh, to let them go. And so uh, we bear this in mind in our uh, desire to win souls in our battle to win souls. Uh, this is, it's as if God is saying uh, to Satan through us and through our prayers and through our, our witnessing to others, let those, my, my elect people go. And uh, we have a part to play as we are speaking on behalf of the Lord. We're speaking to God in prayer. We are wrestling in souls for souls who are unconverted amongst us. We're mentioning them in prayer uh, before the Lord, not only in our public prayer meeting, but also in our personal uh, devotion times. We're, we're, we're pleading with God uh, for, them, for their deliverance uh, from darkness, for them to come out of the world and out of unbelief and to the Lord. And at, at the same time, we're witnessing to them and speaking to them about the Savior and telling them uh, to, uh, uh, that they should come out. So this is how we are involved, and it's a battle that's going on in the spiritual realm. We, may, we don't see it, but it's a spiritual battle that's going on for souls. And Satan, well, he's not, he doesn't want to release his, his captives. He, he wants to hold on to his victims, and he doesn't want to let anyone go. But he will, he'll have to, uh, uh, if, they are, if they are the lords, but we, it's a fight. It's not going to be uh, something that's just going to happen at the very first time you witness, that people are just going to respond immediately and fall down and worship the Lord. It doesn't usually happen that way. Well, verse 3, we see that uh, they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us, that's Moses and Aaron speaking, Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. A very re reasonable request, actually. There's three days would have been just enough for them to get across the border 
and uh, to, uh, to sacrifice, to worship, and then to come back. But it may be asked here, is Moses being disingenuous by, us, by saying three days? After all, he knew, really, because God had told him it was to be a permanent exit from Egypt. It wasn't just to be three days. So it sounds as if Moses is being disingenuous, but actually he's not. What's happening here is that a chance, as it were, is being given uh, to Pharaoh to let the people go. It's been put in this, uh, in a reasonable sort of way. Three days is not very long. Three days is a very uh, easy for him to accommodate uh, that. Three days uh, is quite a normal requirement. They just want to go and worship their God. Everyone is entitled to worship their God. We'll be absent from, from you for three days, and then we'll return, is what they said. But Pharaoh wouldn't agree to it. It just goes to show that his heart is already hardened to a certain degree against the people of God, even in such a small request. So when the other request comes through, or the other demands come through to let them go permanently, well, you'll see it on, on, a, greater, on a greater level. But here we see the obstinacy uh, of uh, Pharaoh, even at such a, a, a request that was easy to fulfill. Well, Pharaoh dismisses them in verse 4, and wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? Behold, the people of the land now are many, and indeed Israel had grown to great size, and you make them rest from their burdens. It will be a great loss uh, to let you go for even three days. A great loss to my, to my government. A great loss to all the building projects that we have on the go. And then in, in verse uh, 16, uh, sorry, verse 6 to 14, we see the burden uh, that uh, uh, Pharaoh places, the extra burden that he places on the Hebrew people. On the very same day, in verse 6, he commands the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as before. Uh, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail of the bricks, the quota of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof. For they be idle, therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. They have too much time on their hands. And so that's why they are asking to be released to go to worship. Verse 9, let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. Well, it is, this is the way uh, that Pharaoh responds. He makes, increases the burden upon the uh, slaves. Life is becoming harder for them. And here we see them. He doesn't want them to be distracted from their work. All this talk of worship is distracting them, turning them away from those things that they're meant to be doing. Give them more work to do. Fill up all their time so they don't think about these things. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar to you? That's what Satan does. When a soul is... Uh, wanting perhaps to uh, know the Lord, or even even just a, a soul person in general. Uh, how often we meet people again on the streets, so we come across friends, 
And you invite them, come to church, come to the gospel meeting, uh, come and hear the word, sorry, too busy. Sorry, I'm working, I'm too busy. I haven't got time uh, to come uh, to uh, the service. I haven't got time to think about my soul. It's the, the old ploy of the enemy to fill people's lives with so many things that they don't have time to think about the Lord. Fill their lives with so many earthly concerns and very maybe very legitimate concerns about making money uh, for the family and uh, seeing the kids through school and uh, different, different things, but keeping them through a multitude of thoughts about earthly thoughts and business, keeping them from spiritually thinking about God and about their need for salvation and their need for the soul. Uh, no, uh, no time, they say, uh, for these things. Verse 10, the taskmasters then of the people went out and their officers and said to the people, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you any straw. The order is passed on uh, by these taskmasters to the people on the ground. And uh, so without that provision of straw, well, the people's task was made so much harder to make that quota of bricks. And they, had, they were scattered, we read, all over the land looking for stubble instead of straw. But they couldn't meet the daily quota of, uh, that was required of them. And verse 14, the officers of the uh, children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as heretofore? So these, these officers of the children of Israel are, are the foremen. You had... Uh, the taskmasters who were Egyptians and uh, in between them on the one hand and the slaves, the Hebrew slaves on the other were these officers of Israel and they were, they were like foremen who were supervising the slaves and the work that was to be done and they also were Hebrews they also were uh, from the, the uh, Israelites and uh, they were beaten because those quota uh, had not been met and then they, they take their complaint uh, to uh, Pharaoh himself in verse 15 uh, to 19. The officers come to Pharaoh, cry to him, well, Wherefore dealest thou thus with your servants? No straw is given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But Pharaoh's reply, Well, you are idle. You are idle. Therefore you want to Go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye be ye deliver the tale of bricks. And then the officers, those foremen, could see uh, that it wasn't just the taskmasters uh, who, uh, who had uh, come up with this plan to uh, deprive them of straw, but it was something that had come right from the very top, from Pharaoh himself. They did see that they were in evil case after it was said, you shall not minish, diminish aught from the bricks of your daily uh, task. So uh, the people, they can't do anything about it. Of course, they, in verse 20, the uh, officers of Israel, they, they leave Pharaoh's uh, presence and on their way out, well, they come across Ma uh, Moses uh, and Aaron. In verse 21, Look at these words that they say to him. So unkind, really, 
and unsavoury words. The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savour to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Harsh words and very cutting words from uh, these uh, Israelites, because after all, Moses was on their side. Moses and Aaron were trying to help them. Moses and Aaron were uh, going to Pharaoh in the name of their God to obtain their release from drudgery and slavery and that terrible life that they were having. And here they are, they are turning against him. He is championing their cause and he is seeking their release uh, from bondage. He's fighting their corner, but they turn against him and are critical of him and are very sharp uh, with their words. Moses had expected uh, a Pharaoh to harden his heart, but he hadn't, in a sense, expected opposition from his brethren. He had expected unbelief from them initially, but not opposition. He didn't expect them to come against him. Well, friends, even here we can draw a lesson, isn't it? Um, if, we're in, if you're in the ministry, you can expect some criticism. If you're a pastor or preacher or in the front line in some way, uh, you can expect that uh, people will uh, criticize you and, and, and perhaps unkind comments will come your way. Thankfully, it's not happened to me, thankfully, uh, here in this place. Uh, but it's quite common. I, th I think one qualification that uh, uh, should be added perhaps to uh, the qualifications for elders we read is, uh, in the New Testament is that a person must be thick-skinned. A person needs to be thick-skinned if you're going to go into the ministry because you have to face a, a fair bit of criticism and it's, you become an easy target, really, uh, from people you're trying to help. <laughs> uh, it's, anyway, that's, an, that's another story. But uh, that, uh, that's also a lesson here, isn't it? Verse 22, look at Moses uh, he cannot understand really what's happening. So he returns to the Lord, no doubt to the throne of grace in prayer, as we all ought to do in times when we are confused about situations. Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done this evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. I can't understand what's happening, Moses is saying. I thought things were going to get, get better, but instead things are, have gotten worse. And now, now the, the load on the people of Israel has increased. Their burden has become heavier. And uh, I expected it to be the other way around. Lord, why are you holding back? Why are you not uh, uh, extending your hand now to uh, deliver the people? And he asked that question, Wherefore, why hast thou so evil entreated this people? He takes it not even from Pharaoh. He goes beyond Pharaoh, takes it uh, from the Lord. Lord, this is what you've done. You've allowed it to happen. And he was right. The Lord had allowed it to happen. He had allowed Pharaoh to uh, make the burdens of his people heavier. But why? There's a good reason. There's a few good reasons behind it. Uh, why did he allow it? He has definitely a purpose in doing so. Well, one reason we could say, and we've sort of uh, mentioned it already a bit in, in passing, but it's to vindicate 
the judgment of God when it did finally come upon Egypt. Here we see that uh, Egypt and Egyptians are making life harder uh, for the people. They're treating the slaves in an inhumane way and beating them and uh, their life is, is making their lives miserable. They deserve, in a sense you could say, humanly speaking, to be judged. They deserved all that's, that's coming their way. So that when God's judgment eventually does fall on uh, Egypt, people can say, well, God has done what's right. God is, uh, God is righteous in his judgments. There is no iniquity to be found in that which he has done. There's a purpose behind it. But there's something else, uh, friends, and this is, this is very interesting. Uh, what, why did the Lord allow them their burdens to become heavier, it's, it's, the purpose was to wean his own people from Egypt. Egypt was in their hearts. They were born there. They were brought up there. They were used to the customs and the style of Egypt. They were used to the life of Egypt. And to a certain degree, they liked it. They loved it. Uh, and uh, the Lord is, through this, making their life miserable in Egypt and making life so distasteful to them that they will want to come out and want to exit from Egypt and never go back again. That's his intention by allowing such things to happen. He doesn't want them to go back to Egypt and he's working these things in their hearts so that they will feel once they actually leave, oh, I'm so glad I've left. I want to leave in the first place. I'm so glad I've left when they do leave and to be determined I'm never going to return back to that land. I remember how awful and terrible my life uh, was uh, then. Oh, friends, that's a beautiful picture, uh, really, of what the Lord does in us as we are seeking Him. He makes even uh, us, before we come to Him, He makes the world, because Egypt is a type of the world in the Bible, and He makes the world distasteful to us. And the manners and the customs of the world and the entertainments of the world yeah, well, the Lord has to um, uh, make us feel uh, that those things are so horrible and terrible. I don't want, ever want to go now I, when I become a Christian. I don't ever want to go back to that kind of lifestyle. I've had enough of the world and worldliness. And that's the intention. I've had enough of the flesh pots of Egypt. Sadly, many of the people who did come out, they, hadn't, they were still in their hearts, were still in Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land, but they still lusted after the, the garlics and the leeks and the onions and the, the flesh pots, the meat of which they, uh, which they had in Egypt. Oh, we remember, they said, all that we had to eat there. Their heart was still there for some of them, not all of them. But the intention of God uh, here is, is let them feel it so that there will be a distaste for it. Oh, friends, we have to say, because what's happening now in so many churches is, sadly, through ministers and pastors, the world is being welcomed back into the church. The world, instead of saying, it's going to have no place in the church, it's going to, uh, it's, but we are now, a number of people are welcoming back the music and the entertainments and the concert-style worship. And so people going into the church, well, there's no difference between a worldly concert and what's happening in the worship concert in our, in our church, except the words are different. The rhythm and the beat are still there, the same, 
but the actual words are, are, are different. And uh, it's a bringing in uh, of something which is uh, very displeasing uh, to the Lord. Come out, the Lord said. Be separate from the world. And that's what he intends us as a church as well to be. I move on. Uh, there's another question here of, of Moses. Uh, the second one, why is it that thou hast uh, sent me? Again, uh, Moses, somewhat discouraged by the turn of events, questions uh, once again his own fitness uh, for the work. Like so many preachers and pastors do when we see little success, we, we tend to point the blame uh, inwards at ourselves and uh, ask why, uh, what's wrong with me, what's, what's happened, why are we not seeing anything uh, happen, happening? But once again in chapter 6, the Lord responds to his servant with some very encouraging words. Words that will strengthen him and cause him uh, to go uh, once again before uh, Pharaoh. But chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Well, we have to stop there just briefly, and I'm, I'm coming towards the end. But we have to stop just to uh, mention, uh, mention this, because is that true? Uh, it, seemed, it's, it doesn't appear to be. Uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they did know the name of Jehovah. You can see that for yourself in Genesis 15. But they knew him more uh, by the name of the Almighty, of God Almighty, El Shaddai. But uh, what does it mean here? So the, the patriarchs were not ignorant of the actual name Jehovah, but what's happening here is that God is going to manifest his name, uh, Jehovah, in a, a different way, in a different light. This generation is going to see uh, Jehovah uh, in a new light than he had shown himself before. Jehovah, I am the great, the unchangeable God, the I am, that's what, that, that's what it means. And the thought uh, here is that Jehovah, the one who, uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, made those promises and gave those promises about the land and the promise to bring uh, them out. Now, over this long period of time, well, he hasn't forgotten those promises. He's still the same unchangeable God. And he is still unchanged in his purpose to bring them out and give them the land. But now is the time this generation is going to see him actually perform the promises. Patriarchs had the promise in promise form, but now uh, they, uh, the people here are going to see it actually in execution. God working in a powerful way to bring about what he has said uh, he will do. Even though Pharaoh tries to hinder him, he won't be able uh, to do so. And that's why in verse 4 we, uh, we see the promise, the land promise is reiterated. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Well, I'm not going to go through all the other verses, but just to mention a highlight for you, uh, some things from it. Uh, 
you notice, <laughs> if you go through it yourself in your own time, there are seven I wills that God promises to do, preceded and ended by those words, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah. And you can look at it in your own time, it, because it's not only what God was going to do for Israel, it's also what God has done for us. And you can draw the lessons yourself, but I just mentioned them quickly in passing. I will, God says, bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and great judgments. I will take you to be for me a people. I will be to you a God. I will bring you into the land. And number seven, I will give you the land for an heritage. The I wills of God. What he definitely will do. But it's all going to be of God. This great redemption of the people is going to be God's work, not Moses, not Aaron. And it's the same in our great redemption. It's all down to God, all what Christ has done. The I wills, we could say, even of Christ. Now, verse 9, uh, <clears throat> chapter 6. Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And then the Lord sent Moses back uh, to Pharaoh. They, the people of Israel won't listen to him, and uh, that discourages Moses even more. And he says, verse 12, The children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised uh, lips? And uh, we skip over the genealogy, which is mentioned there. I'm just going to jump to chapter 7, because there's the actual answer uh, to what the Lord, to what Moses rather had said about his uh, ineptness for the work. The Lord once again says to Moses, See, I've made thee a god uh, to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and so forth. This is God's intention uh, to go, that Moses is to go uh, once again uh, before Pharaoh, because God intends to bring judgment on Egypt. And he intends to bring out his people with mighty power. It's going to be a great demonstration to Egypt and to the world. Everyone's going to hear about it. Remember how the people, when they went to Canaan, they'd already heard about the great things that God had done. Well, this is, the word is going to spread. What's the word that's going to spread? Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. The Lord, uh, he is God. And verse 6, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord uh, commanded them. And though they are all men, God is going to use them. Well, friends, as we close, we're, we're involved in this contest for souls. Uh, we too, we mustn't be silent. The Lord commanded Moses to speak. We also have to speak and to uh, speak all the commandments of the Lord, to continue to do that even in the face of opposition, in the face of disappointment, uh, we have to continue to speak. We have to continue to pray for souls. So often we pray for souls, and what do we see? We see them getting worse. We see them not, not coming to church. You do a good turn sometimes to people, and they, they don't come to church. You think you will, they will be more encouraged to come, but you pray more fervently, and things seem to go down the wrong way. Don't give up. This is what happened with uh, Israel. Uh, don't give up praying for them. 
every opportunity you get to speak to them or invite them to the church, continue to do that. This is what uh, we are to do. Oh, may the Lord help us to do these things. Amen.